Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Coming to you on Wednesday, one day after the Pistons' big win over the Bulls. Just to let you know, this episode was recorded right before the Bulls game, so we don't cover the actual game itself. There's not a full recap, but we do talk about the game and about the great Pistons basketball that we've been seeing lately. Uh, This overall is just a great episode. Ben Gulker is back. Very excited about this one. I think you're going to really enjoy it. I know we've been getting a lot of new listeners lately. Thank you for finding the podcast. I hope you're enjoying it. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and find all archive episodes at blogtalkradio.com slash Detroit Bad Boys. And for everything Detroit Pistons related, DetroitBadBoys.com, the home site for this podcast. And with that, it's time to go to work. Pistons basketball and a good week for you to return, Ben. I'm glad to have you back on the podcast at a, at a good time with the Pistons playing basketball that got them back to 500. Yeah, it's great to be back. It has been it, it, words fail. <laughs> it's been <laughs> an amazing two and a half weeks. Um, I've managed to watch a lot of Pistons in those two and a half weeks, but uh, for those who don't know, I I uh, had my first child. We welcomed. Uh, beautiful baby girl into the world uh two and a half weeks ago she's doing great her mom is a superhero and uh it is it is unlike anything else in the world so yeah i'm glad to be back it's good to be settling back into some normal routines but yeah quite an amazing two and a half weeks i can't even imagine but congratulations and i'm glad you're back i'm glad everything's going well and what's uh your daughter's name her name is iris Iris, all right, Everly, yeah, I, I like it. Thanks, appreciate it. Well, yeah, let's uh, let's talk some basketball now. You've Sounds you've good. had you've had a few weeks off, and I'm sure you've been following the team as much as you can, which might have been a little difficult with a, a newborn schedule. <laughs> it's been, a, you know, like I said, my wife is a superhero. She's nursing right now, and we haven't. This is all TMI. Anyway, <laughs> I've slept uh, I've slept fairly well, surprisingly well. But as soon as we introduce the bottle, that that very well may change because I'll be picking right. up a little more of the slack. So, but yeah, I managed right. to watch just about every every minute of every game so far. Just Pistons, though. I've had to basically give up the rest of the NBA. But hopefully, in a couple months, I'll, I'll figure out a way to squeeze that in too. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you got to start baby steps. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's start at the top. We have. Three wins to talk about, and then the most recent game. And Ben and I are recording this just after the Magic game. So uh, as you're listening to this, if you've seen the Pistons play more recently, hopefully it's after wins. But uh, we're coming to you after the Magic loss. Uh, But I want to start a little more positive and go through the week in order, starting with the Hornets game. 
a one twelve eighty nine win that for me was just never in doubt. Um, I'm not sure how much of this game you got to see, Ben, but what were your takeaways after that great win against the Hornets? Yeah, I was able to catch all of this one. Um, for me, coming into this one, it, it was not to over-dramatize it, but it really was kind of a make-or-break moment. And the Pistons were, you know, very close to being in a position where the wheels could have fallen off because that was a very difficult three-game road trip against three teams who are almost certainly going to be in the playoffs uh, and who have been playing pretty solid basketball. You know, none of them are complete teams yet, I don't think, but pretty solid basketball. And Pistons just routed the Hornets. I mean, this was, as you put it, never in doubt. Fantastic shooting, uh, fantastic defense, and really from start to finish, just a complete domination um, from the first minute all the way to the last. Yeah, absolutely. And this was, I thought it was kind of the first sign of life for the offense, but it was a fantastic defensive effort, which we've been seeing throughout most of the season. What was interesting was the offense was there as well. It wasn't just, you know, I I think this could have been a game that earlier in the season when the offense wasn't quite clicking the way it was in that Hornets game, that would have been a, you know, 90 to 86 loss for the Pistons uh, because the offense just wasn't there, but they found some shooting and it seemed that the offense was there even without Andre Drummond, which I think was another big positive that came out of that game. Yeah, really kind of a fluky flagrant two. I thought personally that should have been a flagrant one. Uh, I think a flagrant call was the right call. It was yeah. definitely a shot to the head. I don't think he was going for the head, but he ended up hitting them there. But absolutely encouraging. And I think, um, you know, John Luer was pretty solid. Um, he didn't shoot the ball quite as well against the Hornets as he has been in some other contests. But I think that goes to show just how deep the Pistons are in their big rotation and how much of an asset that is because, you know, they were able to barely miss a beat. And I think Dre only played like 13 minutes or something like that in that game. Um, But yeah, I think the thing that stuck out to me, 12 for 28 from deep, that's 43%. Uh, When they shoot that many threes at that high of a percentage, it's going to be pretty tough to beat them. Yeah, that's true. And after the flagrant two call, and I agree with you, I think that was a flagrant one. It was a a little strange that he ended up getting, you know, ejected for it. But Aaron Baines played well. And this has been really a common thread throughout the season is when he's on the floor, the offense is fine. Uh, He's collecting rebounds. He's doing everything you expect him to do. I don't know that we can trade Aaron Baines. He's just been really solid behind Andre Drummond this year. I'm starting to get to the point that I don't know if we can trade him because he's become so valuable this season. Yeah, I'm I'm increasingly inclined to agree with you. He was definitely the the natural guy to talk about in trade conversations leading up to the season. But um, you know, if if Reggie gets back healthy, you know he showed, showed some good signs tonight. But if they're if they're going to try to make a push into the second round, I, I do think they should hold on to Aaron. If if they do want to make a push this year, he makes them better, uh, and he's been very good throughout the season and definitely stepped up in the Charlotte game, uh, just like he's been doing all year. Yeah, definitely. And this was, I think it's worth talking about, was the last appearance of Stanley Johnson on the basketball floor. Yeah. Uh, that's a really interesting change for this team, especially during this winning streak that the, that the team had. Uh, and like you said, a road winning streak against Eastern Conference playoff teams or likely playoff teams, which was encouraging. Uh, but Stanley Johnson has been in the news and definitely on the minds of Pistons fans this last week because we haven't seen him. And the reports are coming out that he's struggling in practice and maybe in the coach's doghouse. How nervous are you about, you know, the former eighth overall pick, Stanley Johnson? I'm not super nervous long term. I think, 
in a short term, obviously, it would be great to have him as an incremental upgrade over what he was last year, because I think there's definitely a role for uh, him on this team and in this, this scheme and with this roster. But, you know, it's just not uncommon for young players to struggle, especially I think he's still 20, isn't he? I mean, yeah, he's so true. he's so young. I think um, I think this will this will be an opportunity for him to uh, take this as a learning experience and it can make him tougher and it make him stronger or it could go the other way. I think, you know, I, I follow him on Twitter. I'm sure a lot of other Pistons fans do as well. He seems like a very optimistic person, um, just his whole mindset and approach to. Uh, I think life in general, if, if his Twitter feed is any indication of that, he's a positive dude. He's a hard worker. And, you know, short term, yeah, it's tough to see him struggle because he's been just flat out bad all season long um, and definitely a huge regression over last year. Uh, but long term, I'm, I'm not super worried. I don't know. What do you think about Stanley right now? You know, the only thing that I'm worried about were the reports uh, that came out kind of midweek about practice and that yeah. he was struggling, you know, that – uh, he was struggling in practice, and this was part of the reason that Stan Van had turned to Darren Hilliard uh, as kind of the ninth man off the bench uh, and leaving Stanley Johnson as kind of a clean scratch for the last few games. Uh, and it could just be short term. It could be kind of a teachable moment for Stanley. And again, you're right, he's 20 years old, so I'm not too worried about the long term. But I think my expectation for this season was probably too high for Stanley. I thought he would start to really push Marcus Morris and, and maybe work his way into more minutes and getting close to starter minutes, kind of like what we're seeing from John Luer. And I think that might've been too much for him. Uh, I think he has it in him. He has the potential. He was a great high school player. He was a very good college player, uh, even though he's just a one and done. I think he has it in him, but I, I worry a bit about if it's not translating in practice right now, because that could just be that maybe he's expecting more and he's not meeting his own expectations. And that can be, that can be tough for a young player that can take some time. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think just looking at the depth chart for the Pistons as a whole, Hilliard has not really been very good. I think he had one fairly decent game. I think it was against the Celtics this week, yeah. but his number is going to call come again, just as if for no other reason than the Pistons aren't super deep on the wing. Um, so I think, hopefully, as you put it, it's a teachable moment for him, and he learns that, you know, if you work hard and you, you put in the time and you make genuine improvements to your game, when you get your shot, you have to be ready. Because he's going to get a shot. It, it's going to happen. So for his sake and for the team's sake, we got to hope that happens. Yeah, we do. It, and this comes at the same time we learn Reggie Bullock is out two to three months. Yeah. So you're right. We're short of players on the wing. I'm sure he's going to get another opportunity and maybe this will give him a bit of a chip on his shoulder and he can step up when he's called upon next. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for. And, and you're, you're right. We have to keep in mind that he is 20 years old and it, it's tough to do it because out on the floor, sometimes he looks like a veteran player. He, he has that type of personality to him on the basketball floor. So it's, it's tough sometimes when he's struggling to keep in mind that it's only his second year in the league. Yeah, I was chatting about this with a buddy last night, actually. And to me, when I watched Stanley play last year and when I watch him play this year, it's like a pendulum swinging, right? Like, when you watched him play last year, he just he showed no fear. And yeah. in flashes, that was great, but at other times it was terrible because he'd, he'd take three dribbles, jump up in the air, and have no idea what to do with the basketball. And it's like this year the pendulum has just swung too far in the other direction. He's overly timid and he's overly cautious because he understands that he made some rookie mistakes as a rookie. And, you know, I think as a 20 year old kid, you're absolutely right. He's got 
the NBA body. He's got the NBA uh, talent. There's no question about it. I mean, I, I keep thinking back to last preseason when they even had him running point guard, and he looked like he was going to excel. He's got the skills. It's, it's I think, probably just a bit of natural progression, uh, and, and I just really hope it's just kind of a speed bump uh, on the road to a longer, more productive career. Yeah, and I think part of the reason that maybe the minutes aren't there right now, if the team does see Stanley Johnson as more of a forward, Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris have just been too good to take off the floor. When you have John Luer already taking 25 minutes at that four spot, how many minutes you can give give up at the three and four right now uh, if you see Stanley as more of a, th- a three than a, than a two, because I know he played a bit last season at the two as well. And I know you mentioned as well, Tobias Harris, especially in that Hornets game, he's had some great games this season, mm-hmm. and you just can't take him off the floor. Yeah, and they've been sliding him over to the three in the second unit a little bit with Baines and Luer at the four and the five, mm-hmm. um, which I think that's relatively recent development. And uh, I think there's some potential there. That can be, I think, a frustrating front court for teams to face. So, yeah, some of it might be Stanley's not playing well and maybe he's in the doghouse, and some of it might be what you just pointed out, that Marcus and Tobias have been very, very good, and they're trying to get Tobias burn at the three as well. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's move on to the Celtics game. The Pistons were at the Celtics. Uh, uh, this was a back-to-back as well. Yeah. So it was great to see another good effort for the team, 121-114. to 114. This, to me, kind of felt like a playoff game. And watching that fourth quarter, it was great to see the Pistons not allow the Celtics back in that game. I think, for me, that was the biggest takeaway, was the last five minutes of that game, the Pistons just were the better team. They didn't trade buckets. They played good defense and actually extended that lead a bit uh, over the Celtics. Just a great effort all around. I'm not sure what stuck out to you, but this was, for me, I think the best, one of the, I don't know if I want to say the best, because that Hawks win was damn good too, Uh, but one of the best wins we've had this season. Yeah, I would say it was one of the best wins, and we can talk about this a little more later. The Pistons have been in some very lopsided games on the winning end and the losing end this year. Uh, The Celtics games was one of the few where I like the way you put it, felt like a playoff game in that you had two teams fighting really hard in the fourth quarter, and you could tell that both teams really cared about winning this particular game. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. Ish Smith, I think, my opinion, this was by far his best game as a Piston. You know, all, all five starters were very close to 20 points. Ish was the only one who didn't actually get to 20. He was fantastic, both as a scorer and a floor general. Isaiah Thomas got his, but that's going to you know that's gonna happen to everybody. You can't expect Ish to shut down Isaiah, who's been one of the best point guards in the NBA this year. Um, but really solid shooting again. And, and again, I want to talk about this a little more later. Really good shooting from deep when the Pistons shoot the ball well. Uh, they play much better. They were 9, from 20, nine for 20 from deep. That's 45%. Uh, and they, they handled the boards better uh, than they had been handling them uh, kind of on the season. They actually, I think they won the rebounding battle in this one. Uh, fairly significantly. Um, so when they rebound well and they shoot the ball well, even on the road and a back-to-back against a playoff team, they can perform really well. And one other point here, I felt a little bit vindicated uh, that uh, Al Horford struggled so mightily against the Pistons. <laughs> Andre Drummond really gave him the business, I think, in this game, and I, I wasn't super high on Horford to the Pistons, so uh, felt, felt a little bit of gloating happening on that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you, I like that you pointed out, too, Drummond coming off of the fluke flagrant two-call yeah. in the Hornets game and played really well. I know so many people worry about his mental makeup and the type of competitor he is. 
And I think this game proved that he can show up against great competition. He can put things aside. And we saw, you know, an almost 20-20 effort from him against the Celtics. Well, yeah, and he shot four for seven from the line. You know, his his free throw shooting still isn't quite at that 50% mark where we'd want it to be. But four for seven from the line in a close game, that's fantastic. And then two steals and Mm -hmm. one block for good measure as well. So absolutely, he came roaring back from that really, I think it was just a fluky play. You know, I think Drummond, again, I I just think he gets too much flack. I think he's sort of a happy-go-lucky kid. He's still, I mean, he's not totally a kid anymore, but he's still, you know, he's, he's not even 25 yet, right? I mean, he's he's just a young, developing player who, the way I see him play, um, when he's down on himself, some people interpret that as selfishness, but I, I tend to see it as him understanding that the Pistons are only going to go so far if he doesn't play well. And so he feels a, a responsibility to perform. And and when he doesn't, he gets down on himself for that reason, not for selfish reasons. So I hope people start to, to view it from that perspective because, you know, he's not, when you watch him play, he's just not a selfish player. He, pl- he plays for his team. He's engaged uh, with his teammates, especially when he's playing well. Uh, and I think people just read too much into the fact that, yeah, when he doesn't play well, He's not as up as maybe you'd like him to be. Yeah, and you're right. That's not really something that I worry about. It, and I, I noticed on, uh, I think it was actually the Hornets game thread, there there were some um, Pistons fans that were going kind of back and forth about uh, Drummond, and this was the reason he fell in the draft, and, and this is the reason that you know he can't be the best player in this team, is moments like the flagrant two and you know his response to it. No, and his reaction was, you know, on the, on a scale of one to ten, one being exactly what you'd want, uber professional, ten being you know immature and silly. I thought it was like a five. I mean, yeah. he didn't explode in a profanity laced tirade. I mean, he laughed and clapped his hands and walked off the floor. I mean, it could have been way way worse than that. So to me, it was just like you know he was so surprised that the call was made that he he laughed, and I'd rather have that than the you know some of those alternatives. Yeah, and you also see that he has a pretty good relationship with a lot of the players on the Pistons team. So I don't worry about him as a locker room guy. There's just so few concerns I have about him as a player. It's it's that supporting cast that I want to build up. I, I don't really have any concerns at this point about Drummond. Uh, but I have noticed that fans are still talking about Drummond, you know, even after the contract. Um, now, now that we know he's going to be a part of this team for the future. Um, yeah, I mean, the only place where he's, I think, legitimately... Legitimate criticism exists if Van Gundy really wants him to continue to develop into that sort of Dwight Howard archetype. And, and we mm-hmm. talked about this a few weeks ago. His game just isn't there. But I'll tell you, tonight watching the Magic game, look at a guy like Serge Ibaka. When he came into the league, if you gave him the basketball, he looked as lost as a freshman playing on the varsity squad, right? I mean, he just had no offensive game whatsoever. And he was really a late bloomer in terms of developing his offensive game. And and this year, I I noted on the broadcast, they talked about him being a 40% three-point shooter this season on over 60 attempts. That's incredible for a guy, you know, who came into the league with no offensive game whatsoever. The reason I bring that up is because there's still the chance that Drummond could be a late bloomer offensively. That's true. And I think, you know, he, he's not there yet, and that's pretty obvious, I think, to anyone who watches. I mean, it, just the eye test, he doesn't look super efficient when he's got the ball in the post. 
but it, it's just too soon to write him off yet. There's still a lot of development that could happen. And even if it takes him till 26 or 27 to develop a halfway efficient post game, there's still several years of his prime left at that point. So I do think patience is in order, and I'm talking to myself as much as anybody because I do get frustrated sometimes with kind of forcing the issue offensively with Drummond. Patience is really in order because he's still a super young player, and you just need to look around the rest of the NBA, and you can find all sorts of bigs who develop their offensive game later than the rest of the parts of the game that come together. Right, and usually with big men, the only thing you're worried about is aging and injuries right. but if they can stay healthy and they're well conditioned i i can definitely say that right now about andre drummond you could see that we are still a few years away from his peak sure and that to me is really exciting because i think you're seeing a player in his prime that maybe has not seen his best seasons yet and that could still be four or five seasons away and it's it still leaves him as being a, a relatively young player in the league so i i think that's again another positive because you're right if he can continue to develop under svg as a dwight howard type center and can find that post move there's an opportunity for him to be one of the best centers in the league which is already a conversation uh for for him at least you know in terms of rebounding yeah absolutely you know following up a convincing win on the road i think that had the potential to be a bit of a letdown game right And, and it was just it was a fun game to watch as a fan uh, and just a, a really solid win for a team that really needed it. Yeah, and that's a perfect transition because I thought the Hawks was going to be the letdown game. Yeah, I thought with the Hawks one and eight in their last nine games, and and this was a team that desperately needed a win, and the Pistons just had two big wins in back to back games. I thought for sure this was going to be the letdown game, and instead we saw one of the team's best efforts of the season, one twenty one eighty five. A, another great effort by the backcourt. This was three great games out of KCP, and I was stunned at how well we handled the Hawks. Oh, absolutely. I think KCP deserves a shout-out here for sure because his offensive production has been inconsistent. When he's on, he's been really good. When he's off, he's been really bad. Uh, he put three really solid games together as part of this win streak, and I, I think he also deserves a shout-out for his defensive performance as well. Kyle Korver held a two for eight in thirty, almost thirty-four minutes of play. That's fantastic. Seven points on on two for eight shooting. Yeah, Korver is aging. Yes, he's declining, but still, he's a focal point of that motion system that they implement there. So not only was was KCP lights out offensively. I mean, twenty-three points on twenty shots, eight boards. I mean, that's fantastic for a shooting guard. It, it his defense, his defensive and testing effort didn't suffer at all either. So absolutely deserves credit for his very significant role really in all three of those wins and still being as good as he's played offensively in those three games still being a great defensive player and really the team's defensive performance we've both mentioned it multiple times through these three games now uh just talk about what you're seeing from the team's defense because now you know now the pistons i think are fifth in defensive efficiency uh in what what are you seeing from this defense that um, and, and what do you expect now with Reggie coming back and how it may affect the defense? Yeah, that's so for me, this is such a hard question because when you look at the individual defensive abilities of each of the players in the rotation right now, I mean, I personally would only say just from the eye test that KCP is really the only guy who is 
significantly better than average defender. I think Marcus is a pretty good defender in some matchups because he can he can really body people. But really, KCP is the only guy who's a standout defender. Yet somehow the Pistons are a top five defensive team. So uh, there are a couple things that I think do factor in. But I think SVG has some wizardry here. I think there's something about the the way that he's coaching up this team. Uh, I think he deserves directly a lot of the credit um, for how good the Pistons are defensively because the hole is bigger than the sum of the parts on defense. There's just no question about it. Uh, but a couple things that do sort of stand out to me, um, they are a very good defensive rebounding team. So what that means for opposing offenses is that there's just not many offensive rebounds to be had, and typically offensive rebounds lead to buckets. If you get an offensive rebound, you're close to the basket. It's a high-efficiency shot. You're going to score more times than you aren't. So the Pistons don't surrender a lot of offensive rebounds, so they take away second chances. The other thing that they do that I think really helps their defense is actually on offense. They're second in the NBA in terms of turnover rate, meaning they're turning the ball over less than everyone else in the NBA, I think, other than the Hornets. I think the Hornets are number one. And what that means for their defense is there just aren't as many transition opportunities. And as I think everybody understands, a transition opportunity typically is a high percentage uh, shot. It's going to result in a layup or an open three or something like that. So the Pistons aren't surrendering a lot of transition opportunities. And then I think the third thing, and this is also related to offense, is that they are playing a pretty slow, grinded out sort of pace. And again, I think this impacts transition. Um, there just aren't a lot of opportunities for teams to get out and run. One, because the Pistons don't turn it over. Two, because they're really deliberate and grinding it out in terms of getting what they want on offense. And so teams aren't able to get out and run and get layups and get the offense started. So those are some of my observations, but I readily admit this is one that I definitely don't feel like I have a really solid understanding of. I think SBG is doing something behind the scenes that's really working. Yeah, I know this is definitely SVG's for for me the strongest I can I can say he's affected the team as a coach sure. has been the team's defense. And talking about KCP because that's how I wanted to to start the conversation, but I don't know if he's the catalyst for the defense or if KCP is just the best individual player on a good team defense. Uh but the fact that he's gotten this much out of KCP, and then you're right, a cast of a cast of players that don't seem to be great defenders on their own, and you have a top five defense right now. I'm not sure how it's happening, but I think it's again credit to coach. Uh, there are some signature SVG things: the ball pressure. You're right, taking care of the basketball, but I'm I'm just surprised every night at how poor how poorly teams are shooting against us. You know, we're forcing teams into shots they don't want to make and how frustrating we were, especially to the Hawks. I, it, clearly, at the end of the game, the Hawks were very frustrated with... Um, you could see it on the Hawks players' faces, how frustrated they were by the Pistons' defense. It's it's hard to pinpoint. Um, I, I So there was a three-on-three three that I think got published this week on the, on the website. And I, I did a little bit of a deep dive to try to look at, like, you know, are there... Pistons forcing teams into, you know, disproportionately high amounts of mid-range shots, or are they forcing really low three-point percentages? And there was just nothing in the numbers that just jumped out at me as like, oh yeah, this is obviously why the Pistons are so good defensively. It it really as a whole is greater than the sum of the parts situation. And I was actually kicking this around with Steve Hinson on Twitter this week as well, um, 
getting back to the point that the Pistons don't seem to have a lot of individually great defenders, Drummond is actually really poor in terms of his um, field goal percentage allowed among centers in the NBA, yes. which doesn't seem like that should be possible given that the Pistons are a top five defensive team. So it really is one that, you know, I, I don't have the answer to this, but it, as a fan, it's great to see happening, even though I don't, I can't totally get my head around it. Yeah. With Andre, I looked at that too this week and he was, I think second to last last season in opponent field goal percentage at the rim. And this year he finds himself in the bottom 10 and the percentage is slightly better, but it's still not good. Right. And that's very surprising to me. I thought maybe that was the reason that the defense was better was it was Andre Drummond, but that doesn't even pass the eye test for me. I, I really cannot figure out what it is about this defense. Um, and it, it comes down to, you know, I end up just saying like coach speak kind of things about intangibles, you know, it's like they just want it more or, you know, it's just the hustle. I, I don't know. It's, it's really surprising that, if you would have told me in the off season, the Pistons are going to be top five in either offensive or defensive efficiency, I would have definitely leaned to offensive efficiency. Yeah, I thought SVG would unlock that pick and roll. We would figure it out more on the offensive end than on defense. I thought we were a league average team. And that to me kind of changes the trajectory of this season if we continue to be this dominant on defense. Oh, absolutely. And I think it, it definitely has... Well, let me say one other thing before we go too far. Yeah. One thing to think about last year was the Pistons started really strong defensively. Not quite this strong, but they started as a better-than-average defensive team, which really surprised me last season. This season, they're like elite defensively, which is completely surprising. But last season, they sort of fell off over the last 40 games. So I, I don't... I don't want to be like, you know, a naysayer or, or doubt this team's ability to continue to defend at a high level. Um, but I do I do just want to keep that in mind sort of in the background that, you know, last year they kind of tailed off and it just so happened that their offense sort of picked up and carried them to a to a postseason surge. Um, but yeah, in terms of the way that it reshapes thinking about the rest of the season, I, I think as we, you know, we talked a little bit about Aaron Baines and is he even tradable at this point or the Pistons need to keep him? I think if the defense continues to hold going into January and approaching the trade deadline, that definitely impacts any moves that they, they might think about making as well. Because if you're going to try to show up, shore up your bench, for example, you don't want to do something that's going to disrupt how solid the defensive has been, defensive effort has been. And really, the bench has been very solid defensively as well. Um, so really, guys one through nine are all holding their own in that respect. Yeah, and what's nice from the this three-game stretch that we've been talking about was even giving that much effort on the defensive end and having really solid games against good teams, it didn't affect the offense. Right. We, we, saw, good, we saw good offensive production, so we're not having to... We know now with this team that we don't have to sacrifice one for the other, that both are available. And, and that is, I think, a big credit to coaching and figuring out your lineups, your rotations, and and how this is how this is all working together. Um, I think you're right. Behind the scenes, there is some some wizardry that's being done with this team right now, uh, and that's just to get them to 500 without Reggie Jackson, right. which I think is what all fans wanted. Was let's just let's be competitive once Reggie's back, and uh, the Pistons have proven that they can be more than that uh, for yeah, stretches. Absolutely, I was you know I was hoping for like 
10 and 10, it turns out to be 11 and 11. But I was bracing myself for something like, you know, 8 and 12 and 7 or 13. And going into the start of this week, it looked like that was a very real possibility. So, you know, I don't want to overstate the importance of just one week of basketball, but I think that was a very important week. I think last week was a very important week for this team. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you had some individual efforts that I think were really promising. KCP, of course, like we've talked about. And then John Luer. I wanted to talk to you, and I'm not sure if it's too early to talk about this, but is he someone that should be considered for sixth man of the year? That's an interesting question. Um, so the last two weeks I have pretty much checked out on the NBA other than the Pistons. But to me, Luer is actually surpassing expectations a little bit. Um because I didn't realize how skilled he was offensively other than just sort of, you know, standing in the corner and shooting offensive, you know, open, wide open three-point shots. I I didn't realize that he had the ability to put the ball on the floor and score inside. Um, I don't know if he scores enough points to get enough national recognition, but he certainly had a handful of games where if he could put just a few more performances like together that he would be in the mix. I think that's a, a very good question. I also think team, you know, the people who vote on these things, they tend to look at the, the really good teams when they give these sorts of awards, right? Mm-hmm. So if the Pistons can make a crazy run and push 50 wins, which I think is it's not out of the question. I don't think it's necessarily likely, but it's still possible. Then that would up his chances, but that's an interesting question. I think, um, he's been very good. There's no question about it. And, you know, like against Atlanta, for example, he played just about 32 minutes. Four for five from deep, that's ridiculous. 16 points and nine boards, that's fantastic for anybody, for any power forward, right? Let alone a guy coming off the bench. And I think that's why I think he should be considered in the conversation. And you're right, I'm not sure how much publicity he's going to need to really be a candidate for this award, but I think he could be someone that finishes in the top seven in voting just based on his performance with the team even if we end up as similar to last year just getting into the playoffs because I look at some of the other guys that are mentioned for the six-man award uh Cantor it's it's similar production but in a very different way yeah. with John Lure. so I think that's that's someone that you can consider and again OKC I think will be in a similar position to getting into the playoffs as Detroit so if Cantor's considered I think Lure should be as well and then you have the the third guard on decent teams. You've got Jamal Crawford, Brandon Knight, Lou Williams, and all of those guys. Yeah, good scorers. I'm not sure what what else they're giving their team, right. um, but I I think Lure has to be in that conversation, and that is so surprising. I know uh, people are already talking about how can we get him into the starting lineup, but he's been so great with that bench unit and so great in his role currently. I think we just let that ride for a while. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, one, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But, two, I I don't think you take – you'd have to take either Marcus or Tobias out of the starting lineup to start Lure, and, and those guys have both been too good to, quote-unquote, you know, air quotes, demote either, right? I mean, I don't know if I love Tobias as a full-time three, even though I really like Lure as a, a stretch four. So, to me, you just let it ride the way it is. It's not like Lure is – getting shorted on minutes, right? I mean, he's getting, I don't know his per-game average right now, but he's playing a good chunk of minutes, 27 minutes a game. That's the most he's ever played in his career. So they're finding a way to get him on the court, regardless of whether he's coming off the bench or starting. So to me, yeah, I think you let it ride. 
Yeah, and just another note with the bench as well. Uh, Darren Hilliard in those two games against the Hawks and the Celtics, really good performances and really good shooting nights. I, I think the bench now has three sneaky good shooters with, with Benno, Darren Hilliard, and John Luer. I'm wondering if, if that's part of the reason SVG made the switch was just to find another shooter for the offense. Yeah, so I was... Whoever was running the DBB Twitter account tonight made an interesting point to me. Um, I tweeted out that I thought Benno had been too good to just completely ride the pine for the rest of the season. And the DBB Twitter sort of hit me back saying, you know, if, if Hilliard struggles, maybe Benno sees some time at two guard. And I thought that was an interesting oh. comment as well. I hadn't, it never occurred to me. I just I didn't think about it. But that could be interesting as well because you put Ish and Benno, you get two ball handlers, you know, Ish has been really fantastic of late, but he still doesn't shoot very well. Um, I don't know if Benno can defend the two all that well, so maybe it's situational, but there might be a role for him as well because he he shot the ball really well this year so far. Yeah, it's true. 36% on the season. Uh, I'm not sure if that's changed recently, but the last time I saw it, it was 36%. Uh, If you're right, if Hilliard struggles, maybe that's another option. And the Pistons are probably going to have to get creative at that two spot uh, if Stanley Johnson and if Stanley Johnson's not part of the answer and now that Reggie Bullock is out, it might be someone like Benno that has to step into a role. And you're right, that could hurt us on, on defense, but I like what he gives us offensively. Yeah, and you know, Hilliard, he he really struggled against Orlando, but I think really his ceiling as an offensive player is sort of a three and D sort of player. Benno can also handle so Yes, I think you would probably lose a little bit defensively, but you'd you'd add a, a different dynamic to the offense as well because you'd have two guards who can who can get to the basket off of the dribble, and, and unfortunately that's something Hilliard can't do. So, just total speculation at this point. But you know, if Hilliard struggles, you do have another guy who's proven he can play. He's proven he can shoot, uh, and and at least be adequate on defense. Right, and that might be good enough at, at that two spot. And you're right; it could just be situational. Uh, let's move on to the, the Magic game. Pistons came back home, Sunday night game against the Orlando Magic, uh, dropped a game 98-92, so the Pistons are now 11-11 and on the season. What was uh, the big storyline for you in this game? I think for me it was probably Serge Ibaka. Yeah, it was, I would include Vucevic, so I would say Vucevic and Ibaka. They just completely dominated the Pistons front court. Together they were 15 for 22 and four for seven from deep. Um, the Pistons just had no answers. Ibaka made some really difficult shots out of the mid post. Same with Vucevic. So there were times where they were defended well, and, and the good offense just beat the good defense. And then I think there were times where those two guys' ability to stretch the floor. Drummond just got completely lost a couple times, uh, and those guys ended up being completely wide open. Um, but short of those two guys, I th- thought the Pistons defended fairly well um i mean they only gave up 98 points which anytime you can do that in the nba you've got to like your chances um but really abaka and and fushevich were just too much yeah and then you had um jeff green had a couple big shots in the fourth quarter and kept extending the lead there was it was kind of a frustrating game really for the pistons because i think we had our chances and there were just moments where if it was Ibaka or Green or Vucevic hit a big shot that extended a run or, you know, forced SVG into calling a timeout. 
there were enough of those moments that the Pistons just couldn't get back into it. Uh, they looked a little slow at the beginning of this game. I'm not sure if that three-game winning streak and, and being on the road for a while had anything to do with it, but uh, it seemed they started a little sluggish as well. Yeah, this ended up being a letdown game. <laughs> and right. uh, yeah. Kelser talked about that, I think, in the pregame. Greg Kelser said, you know, this could be the letdown game. The Pistons have to be on their guard, and that proved to be the case. You know, offensively, we struggled. We didn't shoot particularly well from deep. Um, didn't shoot particularly poorly either. Um, but really, you know, Marcus sort of carried the team in the first half, and then he sort of cooled off, and the team sort of stopped going to him in the second half. Uh, which is, I thought was a mistake. Tobias did not look good offensively tonight. He just struggled, and sometimes that happens. Um, but I thought Reggie looked looked really, really good. He only played 23 minutes, but 7 for 12 from the field. I, I thought he looked pretty sharp with the basketball. couple miscues, um, but I think that bodes really well in spite of the fact that the Pistons lost. He, he could, you could tell that he did get tired, especially in the second half when when they pulled him in the fourth quarter, he he looked like he was breathing really heavily uh, at that point after 23 minutes. So his conditioning's obviously not there. Um, but I thought he played really good basketball in those 23 minutes that he was in. Yeah, you're right. That is the other big story and, and probably the biggest for the Pistons. Uh, Reggie Jackson back playing 23 minutes, 18 points in 23 minutes. I think you're right. He looked good. Uh, and it was nice to see, even with the, the minutes, uh, the condition of not playing as many minutes, it was just nice to see him back on the floor. Uh, 21 games without him, the the team was you know 11 and 10, which was better than I think we expected. Uh, like you said, we had some worst case scenarios in mind uh, with him not being on the floor. So it was good to see him back. How long now do you think it's going to take for him to get back to the normal Reggie Jackson that we're used to? Well, it looked to me like um, the only thing that's missing is the conditioning. And it, it really did look like 23 minutes was about all he could handle. I mean, he's Mr. Fourth Quarter, and I think I tweeted out at the end of the third that the Pistons had really sort of set him up for some heroics, and unfortunately he just didn't have the conditioning to carry it home. I think you know you could tell that he wanted to the way he was going after it uh, to start the fourth. But I, I would guess he's, a, he's two to three weeks away from getting his wind back because that, that takes time, and it's kind of a delicate balance, right? He's got a... He's got to try to get his conditioning back, but then he's also got to try to rest after he's gone through the exertion of of a, of a, an NBA game. So it's really just going to take some time. There's there's no way around it. Fortunately, though, Ish I think played pretty well again tonight. Um, in played more minutes in a reserve role, but um, played pretty well. But I, yeah, I think we're looking at a few weeks before he's really all the way there. Yeah, and another thing that I think is fortunate for the Pistons going forward, and this was something Laz mentioned on the last podcast, KCP has really stepped up, and you're seeing him more as a ball handler, and in the fourth quarter you're seeing he's willing to take over, he's willing to take shots, uh, and he's not just the end of certain possessions, but he can create some offense as well. And you saw that in the Magic game as well, and even in the last few minutes when the Pistons attempted that comeback, um, you saw KCP with the ball in his hands often and plays trying to get him opportunities to get this team back in the game. And it's nice that the Pistons have another player that may be able to do that besides Reggie Jackson. Yeah. And I think one thing they've done that I've really liked with uh, KCP this year is they've really made a concerted effort to get him moving without the basketball. They're running sets that kind of remind me of the 2004 Pistons with Rip Hamilton, where he's, 
KCP has the stamina that Rip had, and he's got the speed that Rip had in the half court especially, uh, to really make life difficult for the people defending him. And that's kind of become a staple of the offense. And that that's not just for KCP, because that motion results in opportunities for other players as well. Um, but to your point about aggressiveness and looking to make plays in the clutch, uh, that three that he knocked down to, to pull within five, you know, that to me was a really good sign that he had the confidence to take the shot and obviously to make the shot. He didn't shoot particularly well tonight. He kind of struggled. Um, but absolutely, it is it is a good thing to see him engage and involved in the fourth quarter because you're absolutely right. We've been talking about this for two years on this podcast now. Reggie just can't be the only guy willing and able to generate some of that offense. So you've got Reggie, you've got Tobias, and then if you've got KCP as well, that's a huge benefit. Yeah, and it reminded me of... Uh, Dwayne Casey was being interviewed last year during the playoffs, and he talked about how DeMar DeRozan really emerged during a Kyle Lowry injury. Oh, and there was, a, yeah. there was a stint of 10 to 15 games that Lowry was out, and DeRozan had really stepped up, and he became more of a finisher. And it was mm-hmm. late-game situations that DeRozan started to take over, and it reminds me of this backcourt situation that now it's not just Reggie's show. If they can share a bit of that responsibility... And you're right, just having the confidence to take some of those shots, uh, like that three ball to you know, pull it within five, I think it's a, a very welcome sign because I know I get a little tired sometimes last season of the hero ball that Reggie yeah. Jackson was attempting at times. Yeah, and you know, it's it's hard to say you know, how much of that was a function of necessity and, and how much of that is an area where Reggie really needs to just take his foot off the gas pedal a little bit. There are times when it works, and it's brilliant when it works, but it's not going to work against everybody. So to have three guys, like I mentioned, Reggie, Tobias, and KCP, if if that's who KCP is developing into, and if that's a a silver lining to Reggie's injury, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk a bit about the difference in this team between wins and losses, and this was something I know you wanted to talk about in this episode. the trend of how this team looks in losses was the magic game similar to that. And then I want you to talk a bit about that trend as well. Yeah. So this week we saw this, the Celtics game where it sort of bucked the trend in that the Pistons won, but it wasn't a lopsided win. It was a close, a close game, a hard fought on both sides. This game tonight against the magic looked like it was going to become lopsided. You know, the Pistons or the magic, I think stretched it to 13 or 15 in the fourth quarter and the Pistons managed to kind of surge back and get within five in the last couple of minutes. So they closed the gap, which is a good thing. But this is crazy. I was looking at these numbers over the weekend because as I was just kind of thinking about the Pistons schedule as a whole, they've blown a lot of teams out, and they have been blown out (laughs) by a whole bunch of teams as well. And so I, I just calculated averages. So this doesn't have the Magic game in it. The Magic game won't change it dramatically, but... In losses, the Pistons have been getting outscored 104 to 92. So when they're losing, they're losing by an average of 12 points, which is absolutely ridiculous. Then the flip side of that coin is even more ridiculous because they're outscoring teams 108 to 90. An 18 point plus, you know, an 18 point deficit. That's absolutely ridiculous and also absolutely incredible. And it's kind of hard to figure out because when you go to like nbastats.com you can sort of you know 
sort all this out and look at everything. And the thing to me that jumps out is three-point shooting. When the Pistons win, they're shooting 40% from deep, which is absolutely phenomenal. We saw that in the three wins over this last week. We shot the ball really well against Atlanta, against Charlotte, and against Boston. Uh, in losses, they're only shooting 29% from deep, which is well below the league average. And they shoot enough threes, whether they're winning or losing, that if they shoot that poorly, it's probably going to lead to a loss. The other thing that jumped out at me was rebounding. And uh, we talked about this on the 3-on-3 three three this week on the blog. Check that out if you haven't. Um, but the Pistons have been struggling a little bit on the glass relative to last year. At least they were last week when we kicked around this idea. And in wins, um, uh, they're actually out-rebounding their opponents and getting getting about 48 rebounds a game when they're losing. Uh, they're only getting about 40 rebounds a game. So those are the things that jump out to me. When they shoot well and when they rebound well, they're probably going to win, and they might win really big, depending just how well they're shooting. And when they lose, it's probably because they're not shooting well uh, from behind the line, and they're probably getting outclassed on the boards. Yeah, this this to me was so interesting when I looked at the numbers that you had put together for this. I And watching the games this season, yeah, I absolutely see it. But to have that big of a point differential between wins and losses, I'm wondering if Reggie can steady that a bit. Uh, if anything changes with the team that could, I don't know, maybe steady us on the offensive side. Do you see that, you know, the return of Reggie maybe bringing that back to to neutral or is this some sort of weird trend we might expect to see this year? Yeah. Gosh, I've thought a lot about this. So I think there is some inconsistency on offense that we can expect from this team. That's just an unavoidable function of the players that they have that shoot the ball a lot. Right. So KCP, I really hope that he's broken out of his inconsistent funk. Um, But typically he's been a really hot and cold sort of player, right? We see the games where he's like 2 for 12, and then we see the game where he goes 9 for 12 the next night. Um, The other guy who I think his game is just sort of conducive to inconsistent production is Marcus Morris. And I don't necessarily mean this as a criticism of Marcus, because I think he's been fantastic, and I appreciate him, and I cheer for him, and he's a big part of the success the last two years. But one of the things Marcus is good at is making difficult shots. And it's great to have a guy like that on your roster, right? Because when the shot clicks at four or five or whatever, we can give it to Marcus and you can get a halfway decent shot because he's fairly good at hitting that step back 19 footer or that 17 foot fadeaway out of the mid post or whatever. But if you're designing an offense from the ground up, those aren't the shots that you ultimately want to get, right? Like you want to get a higher percentage look than that. So I I think just because those are the guys who are part of our team, there are going to be games where we're inconsistent. But I, I really hope you're right. I, I hope that Reggie's offensive ability um, allows us to bridge the gap on some of those losses because you know so many times a season is m- made or broken by the coin flip games, right? Where if one play goes your way, you win. If one play doesn't go your way, you lose. And, and right now, the Pistons haven't even really been in one yet. When they get beat, they just get blown off the floor. So um, I think Ish has been admirable, but the one thing Ish really is not is a scoring threat. Uh, and I think it's particularly noticeable in the pick and roll. It, it's impacted the Pistons' offense as a whole. It's also impacted Drummond's ability to score uh, because teams are able to just dive under that pick and roll. Drummond is not a threat 
cutting to the basket, and Ish really isn't coming off of that screen. So, you know, hopefully Reggie gives you several different layers of dynamics on offense that make you more competitive in those games where maybe Marcus is struggling from the mid post or KCP isn't on. And, you know, as much as we don't necessarily love hero ball, maybe there's are some of those opportunities for Reggie really to step up and carry the team when other guys can't. Yeah. And I, that's kind of what I'm thinking as well, that I can see Reggie and especially that more seeing more of the pick and roll action on the offense that helping both the offensive rebounding just with Drummond's positioning um, coming off those pick and rolls but also helping just the scoring. I can see in some of these losses when the Pistons don't really have that go-to. And while KCP has, I think, admirably tried to be that player at times, and he has stepped up and has been that player and wins, you're right that there's still some inconsistency in his game. It would be nice if we could go back to something uh, that worked so well last season. And I think Reggie gives that to us. Well, and the thing that Reggie is good at is getting high percentage looks. So, you know, I talked about Marcus. His trademark is sort of making those difficult shots. Reggie's really good at getting to the basket, and getting to the basket almost always results in something positive for your offense. Either it results in a breakdown in the defensive rotation, and you've got to kick out to an open three-point shooter, or maybe Reggie takes a layup and it doesn't go in, but it results in a drum and put back, or something, right? Like something positive happens, and I think Reggie is the best guy on the roster in terms of getting to the basket. So that adds an entirely different dynamic to the pick and roll, and I think especially late in games where you know, he, he's been literally heroic at times for the Pistons. So I, I think, yeah, it's a great point to raise, and I think you're right to make it. Talking about the wins and losses and then with Reggie's return, and um, hopefully we see him at 100% the next few weeks, but you're right. I think it's going to take a little bit of time with that conditioning. Uh, it does leave open some questions about the rebounding and defense, and I know you had a question for each of those areas of the game, um, just in, in terms of how the team has been playing. Uh, I, I guess I'll just have you kind of offer up the question and what you think the answer might be. Yeah, so defensive rebounding. These are, you know, Pistons are obviously an elite defensive team right now. Um, I I want to give a shout-out to Ish Smith and to Baino Udra, two guys who both of them have outperformed my expectations for them. I was yeah. completely shocked that Beto had this much gas left in the tank. He's been nothing short of a revelation in 15 minutes a game if there is such a thing from a third string point guard um and ish i think defensively has been a pest Uh, he is so much quicker in the half court than i realized i knew he was fast in transition i knew that you know when he got ahead of steam he was very fast he's also a pest defensively um but I, i think if there's room for improvement on the defensive side of the court that has to be our rebounding. And, and just in the last week, you know, you made this point in the notes, and I'll let, I'll let you, I don't want to steal your thunder. Just this week, the Pistons made significant progress. But going into this week, the Pistons were well below what we would have expected in terms of defensive rebounding, given that, one, they've got one of the best rebounders on the planet and Andre Drummond, and two, they were fantastic on the glass after acquiring, acquiring Tobias Harris last season. So to me, there's... The weak link right now is is rebounding, and to me, when I look at the the five man rotation, the guy that I single out on is Tobias Harris. This is an area where I was concerned when the Pistons acquired him um, that he may not be good enough 
as a rebounder for a stretch four position. And then last year he was fantastic on the glass. This year, however, he's really, frankly, just struggled on the glass. I think if you look at tonight's box score, you can sort of get a really good sense for that. I mean, four rebounds from your power forward in 35 minutes, that's just not good enough. Um, not, not even close to good enough. So to me, this is an area where the Pistons really have to buckle down. In this winning streak that they just had, they actually did perform pretty well on the glass, and that's bumped up their averages to, to a little bit more of what we might expect given their personnel. But I think this is an area where, yeah, the Pistons are currently an elite defensive team, but if they rebound the way they're capable of rebounding, that could make their defense even a little bit better than it is now. So to me, this is a weakness that they can they can shore up, and and really, I think Tobias Harris needs to make a concerted effort on that front. Yeah, I agree with you about Tobias Harris, and you're right that having a, a sm- having a power forward that's rebounding like a small forward uh, for the way this offense operates, it's it's less than ideal. And it was part of the reason that Ersan Ilyasova was so good for the Pistons was he was a plus rebounder in his position, and was also a very good shooter. And I think that's the thing with Tobias Harris that either he has to become a knockdown shooter, he can't just be average or above average for his position, if he's going to be a below average rebounder. I just don't think both will keep him on the floor. And he, he's been he's been great this year. I don't want to take too much away from him, but you're right that he's been the weak link in terms of rebounding. I don't think he's a good enough shooter to make up for that weakness right now. So one of those things is going to have to improve for him. Which one do you think is more likely to improve? Well, so looking at his career stats, I have to think it's his rebounding. So stats don't always translate well into a podcast, so, so just bear with me while I talk about this. Offensive rebounding percentage, right? So it's an estimate of the percent of available rebounds that a player gets when he's on the floor. So his career average is 4.4% on the offensive side of the court, right? This year, 1.6%. That means he is getting two less than two out of every 100 available offensive rebounds when he's on the floor. I can cut up some slack because two reasons. The first one, he's really a stretch four. And I think if you if you choose to go with a stretch four, you're going to sacrifice offensive rebounding. And you're just going to accept that as part of your scheme. Secondly, he's taken a, a high number of shots, and a lot of them are going to the basket, which takes you out of offensive rebounding position. So I'll cut him some slack on the offensive side. On defense, however, he's been... Actually, a pretty good rebounder on defense throughout his career. His career average is 18.3% in terms of defensive rebounding percentage. This year, 14%, which is the lowest number he's put up in his career, except for a brief stint in Milwaukee in 2012-2013. And uh, some of this could be the fact that Andre Drummond is such a great rebounder that maybe he's just not giving it the effort he needs to. Uh, But this is just not good enough. Uh, total rebound percentage, 8%. That's absolutely terrible. It's not close to good enough for your power forward. So I think you're absolutely right. I think he has to do one of two things. He needs to add value to the team in one of those two ways. But history suggests he's a better rebounder than he's been this year. Yeah, you're right. And I'm hoping that that finds its way back to those career averages because if it does it's probably the difference of a rebound rebound and a half a game if he can improve on that eight percent number for you know overall rebounding percentage uh that's just unpredictably low for a player like tobias harris that uh not that it was ever a strength of his game but he was a good rebounder for for a stretch four for a combo forward I, i think he was a good rebounder last season uh so i'd like to see that return and i expect that it would 
uh, part of the reason I have that expectation is I've seen what the team was able to do basically in a week in terms of rebounding percentage, now over 50%, uh, finding themselves in the middle of the pack after two weeks ago, uh, they were in the bottom five in rebounding percentage. So they've quickly improved that quite a bit. Uh, and now averaging 44 and a half rebounds a game, which is tied for 10th. Uh, that's probably changed a little bit after the magic game, but the offensive rebounding numbers are still down. Uh, do you put that just on Andre Drummond? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's hard for me to, to lay that at his feet exclusively, right? I mean, he's, his, his offensive rebounding numbers right now are the lowest they've been by like 2%, right? So if we're looking at offensive rebound rate, it's 2% lower than it's been. So certainly he's not rebounding the well, rebounding the ball as well offensively. Um, but I mean, man, Andre can't get every rebound. And I think this is something that the rest of the team really has to figure this out. I'm, I'm hopeful that actually Reggie coming back helps because he's a sneaky, good rebounder for a guard. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think we talked a little bit this week, and, and you made a point in the notes uh, that you might get to later about can the Pistons contend with this style of basketball, right? I think it's possible that they could contend, not this year, not next year, because I think Golden State is just way too good. But if they're going to play this slow, grinded-out sort of style that relies on elite defense, then I think they have to be able to have a significant rebounding gap in order for that to work if they want to contend. So, you know, definitely an area where Andre Drummond can't do all this himself. He's got to have some help. And it, it, frankly, it's got to start with Tobias. Yeah, I agree. It has to start at that stretch four position. It's so important in SVG's system. And if we see an improvement out of Tobias Harris, and you're right, maybe this is another area where just the return of Reggie Jackson is good enough to see an improvement for the team overall. Well, and I wonder too a little bit about one of the things we've seen with Tobias is, um, and this has been a positive, is him attacking off the dribble quite a bit. And I think some of that is because Reggie has been out and the team has needed him to do that. And he's excelled at it. He's been very good at it. But I think when you do that, you take yourself out of offensive rebounding position quite a bit. So uh, Reggie's return might actually help Tobias get involved in that way as well. No, that's very true. Yeah, and it's... Again, just the function of the offense, putting people in position that might return some of the, that might help the return of those rebounding numbers a bit. Uh, but you mentioned the the style of basketball, and this was something I wanted to talk to you about because you had posed the question, why are the Pistons so good defensively? And we've talked about it kind of earlier in the pod now, and I know you have some numbers. I want you to run through that, but then I want to talk about if this is a style of basketball that can lead to the Pistons becoming a championship contender. Yeah, so the Pistons are, under Stan Van Gundy, surprisingly slow to me. I I did not expect the Pistons to be in the bottom five of pace consistently, year in, year out, when you look at their personnel and you look at their coach. I also didn't expect them to be elite defensively. So we have this surprising thing happening with this roster. In terms of defensive rebounding, we've been a little bit critical of them, you know, just over the last few minutes. But after this week, they're actually back in the top ten again, which is where they need to be. I'd like to see them get in the top five. So defensively, they don't they don't give up a lot of offensive rebounds. So they're they're really tough. Um, they're second in turnover rate, which we talked about, and they're this slow, grinded out team that limits transition. I personally think that 
there's lots of different ways to win because the goal of basketball is to score more points than the other team. So you can do that the way Golden State's doing it, which is to assemble superhuman offensive talent and score 140 points and win 140 to 130. And I think they're so good that they're going to be able to do that and do that all the way to the NBA championship. But in spite of the fact that the rules changed after the Pistons won the last championship, I think it's still the case that really strong defensive teams can win. And I think there there is a way for the Pistons to build around um, this sort of a style of play, if that's what they choose to do. Um, one thing that I, I don't think, however, is that it's a necessity. I don't think they have to play this slow. I think with Reggie coming back, um, maybe they'll be able to get out and run a little bit more. Maybe some of the slowness this year is the, the result of Reggie going down early and having to play with point guards like Bena Udra, who they signed right before the season started. And so they're just playing really overly cautious on offense. Um, I think they can win this way, but they have to be elite defensively, and they also have to be elite rebounding the basketball. Um, and I think um, they don't have to play this way given the personnel that they have. They can choose a more up-tempo style because they've got guys who can run. Reggie can run. KCP can run. Drummond can run. For a big guy, uh, we've seen him lead the break, and we've seen him trail the Blake, uh, trail the break as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it's possible that they can contend this way. But ultimately, I think it's going to be a philosophical decision because they don't have to. They've got the personnel to do it differently if they want. That's true, and that's something I didn't really consider when I was thinking about this was the the way the personnel fits into the style we're playing currently. And I guess the reason I didn't focus on it quite uh, quite as much is just the pace uh, that the team is playing. Is I'm so surprised by the pace. Yeah, uh, finding themselves in the in the bottom five, and really it's in a group of teams that are heading in very different directions. So you have older rosters that are playing more of a half-court style. They want to limit transition opportunities because they're going to get beat. San Antonio, Memphis, Dallas. That makes sense. Then you have two younger, up-and-coming rosters, good defensive teams that have made, I think, a calculated decision that they're more likely to win games if they can limit the amount of possessions. And that's Utah and Detroit. And while the league is going one way, and I think it was the other night Mike D'Antoni said, I'm playing too slow for where the league is going. <laughs> and I think that tells you just about everything you need to know about where the NBA is going in terms of pace. But you, you have Utah and Detroit making this decision. And you're right, we have a personnel that maybe with these younger players we don't have to play as slow. I'm just wondering if that limits our potential, seeing that the rest of the league is going in another direction. Um, but, but maybe bucking that trend is enough to keep us as, you know, in that contender conversation. Uh, but I, I think we have a few years to figure it out because the pace right now could also be in part because of Reggie Jackson's injury. Um, I know last year it wasn't quite at the pace of, I think, 96 possessions that it is right now. So I'm, I'm not sure, um, if that will continue with Reggie returning. Do you have any idea if the, the pace will change dramatically with Reggie? Well, I mean, I want the pace to quicken because <laughs> partly because I'm selfish and want to see exciting basketball. Um, but this is a this is another thing about SVG that I it baffles me. I don't get it. Um, it. It's working, right? I mean, the Pistons are winning. They won last year. Exceeded a lot of expectations. They exceeded expectations without Reggie this year. So it's clearly working for them. Um, I, I think. 
the one thing I, I, I don't think we have enough information about yet is can this work in the playoffs for this roster? And I don't think we have enough information because last year they just got routed, right? I mean, they just ran yeah. into a buzzsaw. Um, I, I do think, though, that when you get to the playoffs, the game te- does tend to slow down. Uh, the game tends to get a little bit more physical, a little slower, and defenses tend to amp up a little bit. So I could see it being a strength, right? If you're accustomed to playing a slow, grinded-out sort of style, that won't be shocking to you when you get there. But my gut is the same as your gut. If they if they want to really win and win big, at, at least at times they're going to have to play quicker because you have to score the basketball in order to win. And part of scoring the basketball effectively is cashing in on transition opportunities. Um, so, yeah, I, my gut tells me it's got to get at least a little quicker. And part of that, too, is the three-point attempts that I think playing quicker and then I thought with SVG, you know, the three-point would be such a, a large part of the offense. It was last season, but this year we're seeing the the attempts down. I think it's still in the bottom five of the league. Uh, so this grit and grind style that the team might might be, uh, you know, choosing as their preference – uh, yeah, I, I think it could be limiting, but it also, you're right, it could just be a fan's bias because I like 120 to 115 games. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and I mean, too, gosh, the, the NBA right now is so three-point heavy, right? Like, the Rockets are taking, they're the number one team in terms of three-point attempts. 37 threes a game. That is ridiculous. I mean... It's I, I, it's hard for me to even envision watching a game where a team shoots 37 three-point shots, right? That's just absolutely crazy to me. And there are teams, however, who, who are winning who don't do that as much, right? Like the Spurs, by contrast, they're taking about 22 three-point shots a game. So the only reason I bring that up is there's more than one way to win in the NBA. That's still the case, even though teams are going small and teams are shooting, shooting lots of threes. There, there's still a way to carve out a niche. The Pistons are actually last in the NBA in three-point attempts at 20.5. And again, Houston is shooting 37, which is almost double what the Pistons are shooting. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, your gut and my gut are in the same direction. I think to really unlock their full potential, they've got to, at least at times, play a little quicker. Yeah, and I think fans will just have to be a little patient in the, in the meantime, uh, because something like that isn't, it's not going to happen overnight. And that could be something you see over seasons, uh, that, that can change. Well, great. I I feel good about your return episode. If you, if you feel good about it. Yeah. I feel like I performed just about as good as Reggie Jackson shot a good percentage. (laughs) Got out there. Exactly. (laughs) That's a, that's an 18 point and 23 yeah. minute performance. I am feeling tired though. I got to admit, I'm feeling like I gave it all I had and I, I need a sub. So yeah, the, the pod fatigue is real. It's... <laughs> that that might be my um, permanent uh, sleep deprivation right now. That's also kicking <laughs> in, so. Yeah, it could be. It's probably <laughs> nap time right yeah, about exactly. now for you. Yeah, exactly. Well, perfect. I, I know I, I want to just thank everyone who's been supporting the podcast and supporting both of us and asking us questions. And I, I've, I, I love the DBB community for for how much they supported this podcast. Uh, I think we owe you at this point a mailbag episode. So expect yes. a mailbag in the next few because I know the questions are coming in. So we will do our best uh, in the next few weeks to to uh, accommodate all of those questions. 
And uh, with that, yeah, I, I think uh, that's it for this episode. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, we will be bringing you a new episode very soon. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.